Welcome to Guitar Villains. I'm your host, Tyler Larson. Why guitar villains, you ask? Because villains are cooler than heroes. It's just a fact. This is a podcast by guitar players for guitar players. And over the course of this series, we'll talk to some of the most creative and innovative guitar players in our community, find out what makes them tick, and understand how we can become better guitar players ourselves. Thank you for watching the video podcast here on YouTube. And you can also listen to the Thank podcast you for watching on the video Spotify, podcast iTunes, here on YouTube. Or wherever else and of course, you, you can also podcast. listen to today's the guitar on Spotify. The unmistakable wall of sound behind the bands Asia and Sons of Apollo. Ron Bumblefoot Thal is one of the most creative and staggeringly good guitar players you'll find. With his trusty double-neck vigier containing both a standard and fretless six-string neck, Bumblefoot crafts riffs and licks that will make you wonder if what you're hearing can actually come from human fingers. With an obsession for hot sauce, a knack for teaching, and a braided beard that would make even John Petrucci do a double take, you're in for a good one on today's episode of Guitar Villains. Welcome to Guitar Villains, the show where we deconstruct and decode the guitar. And Ron, can I, can I call you Ron? It's my name, yes. <laughs> I, I know the majority of interviews may bring this point up, so I'll just I'll make it quick. Your artist name, Bumblefoot, uh, I've read it comes from a bacterial infection of the same name, which you learned about while helping your wife study for her veterinary exams. I never thought I would have to take my life seriously. Yeah. <laughs> um, so really, it's it's my band name, and I've put out albums under that band name, and it became you know it became like a nickname, just being lead singer, lead guitar player, you know. Great. So it's think of it more like a band name, and it might be a little less offensive. <laughs> I'm not offended. Uh, that's well, that's something people know is your name, Bumblefoot. Uh, but one thing people may not know about you that I'd like to share. Uh, is actually something we share in common, which is our love of hot sauces. And you actually, you you created three different hot sauces uh, I, that I know of, which which are called Bumblelicious is one of them. There's one called The Sauce. And then there's one called Bumblefucked. And w- which one is for which food? Like, what's, how do we, how do we use these effectively? Okay, the sauce. I wanted to make a sauce that goes with everything. One where you would take off whatever red sauce you keep on the table, you would take that away and you would put this one there instead. Uh-huh. So it goes with Mexican food, it has Mediterranean herbs, and it goes with Italian food. It goes with Greek food, Lebanese food, any kind of Mediterranean food. Uh, goes with Indian food, goes with Thai food and Chinese food, goes with Korean food, uh, goes with everything. And that one's it the sauce. Mm-hmm. That one is called the sauce. Yeah. And it is a two-time first-place winner at the NAM show of fiery food called Zestfest in Dallas, a three-day food festival at the convention center out there. And twice it's won first place in the mild category. Now, Bumbalicious, that one is a zesty uh, cherry bourbon chipotle barbecue kind of sauce that people like so much they drink it sometimes. <laughs> I've seen people drinking this stuff. Also, it's kind of mild, and it goes great with stir-fry, it goes great with steak, it goes great with barbecue. And that one also, two-time first-place winner at Zestfest. 
And then the hottest one, which is so hot. Uh, you know the show Man vs. Food? Yes. Uh, actually, no, 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 I'm sorry. Hot Ones. Hot Ones. Hot That's Ones. One. Hot Ones. Uh, the company that makes Hot Ones, uh, First We Feast, they did a blog on the 10 hottest sauces in the world. And Bumble Fucked, I believe, was number three on that list. Wow. And it is so hot. Literally one dot will set you on fire for a good 10 minutes. And one drop of it will completely heat up an entire plate of food. It is extremely hot. And yes, it lives up to its name. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. My wife, Bethany, and I, we did the Hot Ones Challenge. And uh, needless to say, number three ranking on that list is no joke, I'm sure. I, I had the bomb. And uh, I was like in pain, uh, physical yeah. anguish. Uh, what's your favorite non-Bumblefoot uh, hot sauce? Ooh, you know, the one that I might use the most is made by, uh, if you know a guy named Ed Curry. He is the inventor. He lives down in South Carolina. In fact, we get together almost every Christmas and go down there. And my family and his family, we have lunch, and he shows me all the new peppers he's creating and the new sauces he made. So he's the guy who made the Carolina Reaper. And every time I'm there, he loads me up with a box of (laughs) all different hot sauces. So I've been using one very simple. It's just called Reaper Squeezins. And it's just pretty much Carolina Reaper mash. And I put that always just just a couple of little dabs. Yeah, I put it in the corner and just dip things in as I'm eating any kind of, uh, yeah. Yeah, delicious. So that's what I use the most. I, I would say um, Cholula is like my staple. And then uh, there's this hot pepper sauce called Tennessee Sunshine, which is also delightful. Very nice. Yeah. There was a great one made with pumpkin by a company called Big Fats out in Chicago. Really nice. That's yeah. a nice. That's a nice timely seasonal sauce for recording in October. That's nice. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we we do things a little bit differently on this show. We're going to play some games. I'm going to try and get to the bottom of what makes you tick as a musician, and hopefully you'll have a great time. And maybe next time you're in Nashville, we can eat some hot chicken or something. That would be great. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So the show is called Guitar Villains because I think villains are cooler than heroes. I've always found the characters are deeper and more memorable. So the first thing I want to ask is, out of all the comic book villains or movie villains out there, who would you say you identify with the most? And this could be someone as simple as appearance or as nuanced as a character trait. And if you want, I'll give you my answer for, who, for which villain I think you're the most like. And you can That'll respond. Help. Yeah, because I suck at this kind of stuff. Okay, no so, worries. I'm going off the bumblefoot. This, this is actually a bacterial disease in birds. Bumblefoot. That's the that's what. In case I didn't make that clear in the intro, so I think it would be appropriate to go with a bird of prey style villain, and I I think you're actually a lot like Vulture from the Spider-Man saga, the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were born where? Uh, Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York. Vulture's also from New York, born in Staten Island. And he employs, what's that? He's from Staten Island? Yes, yes, he was. He good 20 years in Staten Island. Okay, so already your kindred spirits. The, uh, the vulture employs a special electromagnetic harness of his own design that allows him to fly. And his flight is directed by a pair of artificial wings worn on his arms 
And this harness also endows him with an enhanced bit of strength and according to some sources increases his lifespan and he's also actually very intelligent and uh he's brilliant in the fields of electronics and mechanical engineering and just has a great talent for invention so i think it's a lot like you i mean born in new york all the technology vulture is known for you sometimes sound like a robot when you play and i mean that in the most human way possible if you know what i'm saying Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you're you're right up there as far as those sounds that I'm talking about. You're right there with like Satriani or Buckethead or Tom Morello. So you're in good company uh, in that regard. And I think you know Vulture's highly intelligent, and I get that sense from you. I you seem like a really wise person, and I know that from watching you teach, uh, which we'll expand on a bit later. But yeah, I think your villain doppelganger is Vulture. Thank you. <laughs> I think <laughs> I love that reaction. Better than the penguin. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't go with the penguin for for obvious reasons. I'm not going to insult you in that way. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I walk funny and I wear a lot of black and white. Yeah, uh, you seem like a tall guy, though. Oh uh, no, you're not tall. No. Nope. You have this like domineering. The whole thing everyone says when they meet me is like, "I thought you'd be taller." Yeah, <laughs> no. Well, you have a, a domineering presence, so maybe that's it. Um, so first things first, Ron, I, I have a couple softball lobs for you. I call this segment Burning Questions. These are rapid-fire questions that if you were to conduct a live masterclass or a live stream where anyone could ask you questions about anything they want regarding music, these are questions they would ask instead of asking you about guitar playing secrets or wisdom or anything else that could help them become a better player. They would no doubt spam the chat window with these questions, which in fact don't totally matter, but for some reason they must be answered. Are you ready? No. Go ahead. Here we go. <laughs> That's a rhetorical question. I have to, I have to ask <laughs> Yes. All right. What gauge pick do you use? I've switched to thin picks. Thinner, I should say. I used to use a lot of heavy picks, and then one day I just picked up this really thin one, and everything sounded so much blatantly brighter, and I needed that. Uh, so I switched to thinner picks. So now I'm using, I think they're like 60s, 60, 60. Wow, that is thin. It is, yeah. What gauge strings do you use? Uh, on the fretted, it is 9 to 46 usually. And on the fretless, I use 12 to 54 or 56. Sometimes I'll throw on a 60 on the, the lowest E. Great. What's your number one guitar? My number one guitar would be this monstrosity, the Vigier Signature Series Double Neck Fretted Fretless B-Foot Guitar. Has everything I need at this point in a guitar, including a new back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the, probably the heaviest guitar we've had on the show so far. Uh, what is your favorite amp? My favorite amp is the Engel Invader. Now the Invader 2, 100, 150 watt, all tubes. Uh, yeah, Great. 6L6 or EL34, both are fine. One is a little mushier, which I kind of like more than the sharp biting. Uh, and of course, you know, got to have Celestian uh, 
12s, four by 12. Finally, what is your favorite guitar pedal? Ooh, favorite guitar pedal would be, at this point, I would have to go with my Morley switchless wah. I'm using a bed horsey, and I love a wah that's switchless. You just press on it, it's on, you let go, it's off. I love that pedal too. All right, we're going to play another game. It's called Name Those Notes. I'm going to play you a quick sequence of guitar notes from songs that you have recorded over the years. Oh, that I've recorded? All right. And you have to tell me what song these notes come from. Oh, that's okay. So we're going to see how well you know your catalog and how well you can recognize your own guitar playing, and it'll spur some conversation about the music too. So we're going we're gonna to start with something easy that I think you'll get, and then things will get progressively harder. Sound good? Sure. Okay. Here is the first bit of notes. Yeah, from Satch. Yes. Thank you for pronouncing that. I've heard na, gna, and nya. So, right? Uh, wait, let me get my thing on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Satch did this really cool uh, thing. In case people haven't seen it, he has a lot of his tracks stripped down, like all the solo guitars gone, and he had all these great guitar players interpret. Uh, his songs and I have to say out of all of them like you mentioned you saw the comment that I made on your video I thought yours was by far the best it was my favorite at least and I wanted to ask you particularly about that that slide that you what is that is it on your pinky a little slide on your pinky it's a thimble I've been doing this for a good 30 years if you listen to the adventures of Bumblefoot on Shrapnel in 1995 25 years ago and everything I do uh, all the stuff with uh, Sons of Apollo uh, even a lot of stuff that was on uh, I think some of the Chinese democracy solos mm-hmm. uh, yeah this is this has been my thing uh, just to get an extension to the range of notes that we can get out of the string uh, when you're on the bridge pickup as you go up and you keep on going as you're on the neck pickup and it's picking up from or not picking up from behind it it's actually like de-intonating your guitar stepping in front of the bridge shortening the length of the string in this direction so like that and you can get them from either way so with that you can actually play from both directions of the string instead of just going you can do it from here like that. Uh-huh. That is that is very interesting. I I I never how did how did you come up with that to have a thimble on your pinky? I wanted more notes and I wanted an easy way to access them. So it just seemed the most practical way. Practicality. See, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. The 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 inventiveness, the intelligence. Vulture. It's not until it's simplicity. Okay. <laughs> Call it what you <laughs> will. I came up with a, a whammy pedal instead. Yeah, it's like a manual whammy pedal. Yes. <laughs> All right, we got a, a, another uh, group of notes. You ready? Oh, ready. Here we go. Uh, that is actually... Oh, wait a minute. Um, Sons of Apollo, is it? Uh, 
Oh, wait. Uh... Is that one piece in the solo? Uh, and it does that one thing where I was doing a uh, like a Lydian flat seven, and in between, or I should say, on top of each note, I was just sort of just hammering and pulling off with this thing. So it had that sort of uh, kind of like kind of thing going on. Yeah. yeah. So that song is uh, God of the Sun. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. You got it. Uh, can you talk about a little bit of the uh, the chemistry between you you and the rest of the band in, in, uh, in Sons of Apollo? That's such a great, great lineup. It's the Toxic Avengers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, it's an interesting cast of characters. And ah, the way it came together, uh, everybody has a, a background in that band with each other. I mean, of course, Derek and Mike from, from Dream Theater, Mike and Billy with Winery Dogs. Me, Mike and Billy have played together a number of times in the past, from Nam Jams to being the house band at uh, one of Eddie Trunk's 30th anniversary events that he had in New York. Mm-hmm. We were the house band, me, Mike and Billy, and all these other people came, uh, Ace Frilly and Peter Chris, we jammed old Kiss songs, and the guys from Anthrax and Tony Harnell, and, and uh, yeah, so there's that on Progressive Nation at Sea in, I believe it was 2014. Uh, that was me, Mike, Billy, and Derek playing together. And when we finished playing two songs, Derek said to me, we should form a band. Mm. And <laughs> Mike and I always talked about doing something together. We did Metal Allegiance. Uh, we went out and toured for a week doing that together. Uh, I played on the first record. I did a song. I played on... Mike Son's first album from his old band, Next to None. So we all have some history together. Great. And it just seemed, yeah, just Mike shot me an email in early 2017 and said, hey, you know how we always talked about putting a band together? Well, I've got this idea. Uh, you know, me, you, and Billy, and Derek, and Jeff Scott Soto. And as soon as I heard that name, I'm like, yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> I'm a huge fan of, of Jeff from... You know, rising force and marching out and and everything else, uh, and he's just such a wonderful guy. You know, just a, a great guy to be in a band with. So, yeah. yeah, you can tell you can tell the the music that you guys make. It's just like got to be a tight knit to to come together in that way and create music that way. I think it, Sons of Apollo. Um, if you ha- if anyone listening hasn't checked it out, it's it's quite delightful. I'll say that. All right, we're going to go on to some more noises now. Here we go. And like I said, we're going to get a slight bit. uh, I think you'll get these. Yeah, you'll get these. Here we go. We shall see. (laughs) Okay, that was from 2013... I did, for jam play, I did a bunch of lessons for them. And one of the lessons was on playing two different scales at once, where you're playing like... I shouldn't say two different scales at once, just um, 
a scale where you're playing two octaves, but you offset them so that different ones are happening at different times. So one happens and the other, so maybe instead of you going, and they both, oops, both start and finish at the same time, one will start here and then, and then you have, and then one finishes and then the other, and then, and going through all different variations of that. Uh, Multiple so, instances yeah. of scale of the same scale happening displaced from one another. Uh, it's for the practice. It's not even for guitar. It's a mental practice, which is really what you need to work on because it starts there before it ever gets to the guitar. So it's about thinking ahead and being able to, I guess, mentally multitask and think of a few things at once and have them together, put them into the buffer, and then spit it out through the guitar. So it's sort of like that. So it's more of an exercise in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mental multitasking. I, I liked how you phrased that. So we're going to move on here to another batch of notes. Here we go. Okay, well, that was Buckethead solo to the song Chinese Democracy, where... Uh, using a whammy pedal and a, a kill switch. So, hit the whammy up, and then slowly raise the whammy pedal as you go. And it's going, uh, sound like, like that. So it's like, if this was the whammy pedal. Right. And then... Mm-hmm. That, so that's what that is. That is, uh, and, and I chose that because not many people would want to tackle a buckethead solo. And you just, you know, obviously you were in Guns of Roses. And I remember when Chinese Democracy, the album, came out, uh, it was a huge talking point for me and my guitar nerd peers. I was at uh, the Berklee College of Music when it came out. And everyone I talked to was absolutely in love with all the insane guitar work of yours. And there were a few people, you know, there's, there's not many people I would say in the world that can take the reins in a band like guns and roses, like the lead guitar role, especially. And I, I honestly, I think it would have been easier for somebody to fill in for Axel than it would have been somebody <laughs> to fill in for slash as far as like, you know, the fans, the way they would, you know, accept somebody. So did you, did you think about any of that when you were creating your compositions in the studio? Like, did you have anything, any sort of mental preparation, uh, or did it affect your playing it in any way, or was it just stream of consciousness? Well, when it started, when we started touring, I kind of jumped in at the last minute and we jammed seven times and then hit the road for three months. Right. And to learn half of Chinese democracy, which at that point in 2006 was just demos still, they weren't finished, but they were close to finished. Uh, you know, a lot of the work was already, the foundation was pretty solid on it. Uh, I remember I had to, to learn those songs. I listened with a pair of headphones on the road manager's laptop and piece of paper and was just writing out, making cheat sheets and listen to the songs pretty much like one time through to get them down mm-hmm. and have to learn whatever I could just listening real quick for a half hour and then getting back in the room to continue jamming with everybody. 
and then had to <laughs> do a good year of touring based on on that on cheat sheets and, and hearing the songs once and then playing them live and through playing them live that's how I got to know the songs better and started coming up with my own ideas for them uh, so in the song Chinese Democracy the verses were very open and there was like atmospheric uh, synth sounds and stuff I was like, you know, it needs some grit, it needs some guitar grit. So I put in all those. I just started doing that live. Wait, I'm supposed to be recording all these parts. I'm sorry. It, so- it sounds good, actually. Okay. So over time, I started developing parts a little bit. But for most of the stuff we worked on in the studio, uh, once I got in there, I was like, all right, let me try this. Oh, that's stepping on the keys. Oh, wait, that's stepping on the, the strings. That's stepping on the back and vocals. That's stepping on the other guitar. So finding a place to put something uh, of value for the song without uh, just getting in the way of anything else that was in there, that was the challenge. But Karim uh, Costanzo, the, the uh, producer, he, he was phenomenal, and he guided me through everything and, and, and made it happen, made it possible for, <laughs> for it to work. And we would try, uh, you know, something that's just more strummy, something that's more just funky, something with a wah, something bluesy, something more technical, something on the fretless. We would try all different things, and after a good hundred versions of parts and things uh he would put together what he thought uh was a good direction for it and him and you know in the end axel and and karen or axel you know wasn't there i don't know who made the final executive decisions i'm guessing axel but but they decided what best fit the song and and it turned out to be a -a one-of-a-kind record you know and i always said at the time People are still just going on about, ah, it took this long to make and it took this much money and all that, that nonsense. And we said, wait 20 years. And, you know, people are going to forget about all of this stuff, all of this baggage that they're trying to attach to this record. And they're just going to listen to it for what it is and just listen to it as music. And they're going to hear so many layers of things and such an interesting combination of parts and people and changes in, in even style and technology that was happening over the course of however many years, you know, let's say 10-ish years mm-hmm. uh, from when they started writing till it actually was on the shelves in stores. And I don't think any other album in the history of rock went through those kind of changes. So it's a very special album with a lot of history just within each song that has layers to it. Uh, and I'm grateful that that you know they had me on it. It's yeah. it's an awesome sounding record, and and you should be proud of it. I mean that like to have that down, and like you said, it is pretty cutting edge. And I was listening to it uh, before our chat today, and I was like, man, this this holds up like big time. And I think the cool part too, like uh, that I want to reiterate is, yeah, there were people who like you like you called it baggage. Um, Personally, I I had none of that. I just like music. I don't care who's making it. Um, and the the cool thing too is all my peers in the guitar community. What it was at that point it was all guitar players. Everyone was 
uh, it was like a hundred percent acceptance as far as I knew. So all that extra crap, um, I, I wasn't really in tune with no pun intended, but the, um, yeah, that, that, that stuff is, is really great. So thanks for the little backstory there. I have one more thing to, to play for you. I think you should get this, but maybe uh, we'll see what happens. Here we go. That is in June of 2016, I went up to the offices in Manhattan to Loudwire and we did like two different interview segments and then they brought out the Hello Kitty guitar and said, you know, you want to strum on this for a while? And uh, sure. And I ended up giving them a half hour concert of just singing (laughs) and playing. So... You know, we were doing everything. I was doing Stevie Wonder songs. I think I remember I started it. And if I remember right, I started with... If you really love me, would you tell me that I hanging around? And I just broke into it. Oh, I'm afraid to now. I'm probably going to sound like crap. I see the light Then you're telling me that it's time to go. First with feeling alright, then it's gone from sight. And just and just like went through like a million different songs and played all this different stuff for like seriously like it was a good half hour, and they just cut it down to what they they yeah. put out there. I didn't even put that together. Uh- that it would have been the same session, but it makes tons of sense because uh, Portnoy on the on the little toy drum kit there, there's that video and then your video. It, it makes sense. It was at the same time. Um, Actually, those it, were two different times. Like Zach oh. did his a different time in Portnoy. This is before Sons of Apollo and everything. Yeah. Okay. So okay. At that point, I just went up there and we did our did the thing. But I did some other interview stuff like a fact or fiction and, and a couple other things. And, yeah, yeah. It's great. I, I love, you know, p- sometimes people forget music is supposed to be fun. So I love when people in- can inject humor and in. it's, it's how I built my channel and, you know, combining education, entertainment, and just an authentic bit of humor. I think if you're not having fun, that's what's the point? The <laughs> that's the word authentic. You just got to be authentic. You know, I'm half a dork. Uh, and I'm happy like that. And I like to have fun. I like to laugh. I like to be silly. You know, I like to be serious too at times. And, and that's just me. And I'm going to be me unapologetically. And that's going to come through in music I make, my own music or anything quirky, you know, that might happen when I'm interjected into, you know, collaborating in bands and things like that. Mm-hmm. But that's who I am. And I'm cool with that. That's great. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, you know what? I don't put anyone down if they're dead serious, they don't smile, they don't laugh, they don't make jokes. If that's who they really are, good for them. As long as you're being who you really are, that's the whole thing. And the world needs every type. Today's episode of Guitar Villains is brought to you by Guitar Super System. Are you tired of YouTube ads telling you that YouTube guitar lessons suck? 
Me too. I don't know about you, but somebody setting an acoustic guitar on fire or teaching crappy cover songs in front of a musty black curtain feels a little disingenuous to me. I'll get straight to the point. Join tens of thousands of other guitar players and visit guitarsupersystem.com to join the most popular independent guitar learning platform on the internet. If you're a beginner, there's an entire curriculum called the Beginner's Corner just for you. If you're an expert, the music theory and technique curriculums reach the highest levels of mastery and are based on industry standard learning methods I've used since graduating Berklee College of Music. If you're somewhere in the middle, you're actually the perfect candidate. The Choose Your Destiny approach allows you to cater your learning experience to exactly what you want to accomplish, whether that's improving your improvising, ear training, learning new techniques, songwriting, and more. You'll also have access to private live streams, lesson comments, and a community forum for feedback, as well as exclusive giveaways and new curriculum releases. The best part is everything that I just mentioned is included in one monthly subscription and you can cancel anytime or, like a lot of people do, upgrade your subscription to a yearly pass. Of course, you can also just learn guitar right on YouTube for free because YouTube guitar lessons don't suck if you know where to look. So check out guitarsupersystem.com. Now, back to Guitar Villains. I want to talk more about education because I know you've taught at the collegiate level. You've put together a music department at a private school in New Jersey. You've taught at the Sam Ash Institutes, uh, obviously dabbled in online instruction. So I, kind of selfishly here, I have a question uh, I want to ask in regards to myself without necessarily knowing the strengths that I possess or my process how can I become a better guitar instructor? What qualities do you think a great teacher holds? Ah, good question. So in order to be a good instructor, well, first you have to understand what your student needs and what their goals are and, and what they need to work on and to help them with that. Uh, you need to be able to speak in a way that they'll understand that makes sense to them. And everything that you're talking about, you need to be able to explain from a few different angles. You know, everything has, has more than one dimension to it and it needs to be viewed from different ways. Like let's say uh, modes. For someone who doesn't quite get modes, it could be very confusing if they're just looking at it from one direction. But if they look at it from the point of, okay, well, we're taking compared to a major scale, the diatonic scale, and we're just flattening this note down, and that makes it mixolydian. Or you can look at it from the point of a key. Okay, let's say we're taking a C scale. Well, instead of making everything finish on... Thank you, good night! You know, finishing on the one, we're going to arrange the music so that it all feels like it's resolving on the five chord, but it doesn't feel like a five. It feels like your main thing, you know. jamming you know off a C on that you would jam off a G but you would make it work you know by flattening this down or you can look at it like okay well uh, we're gonna be playing our happy innocent scale here and we're gonna change the mood of it a little bit we're gonna give it a little bit more fun a little bit more attitude and we do that by flattening the seventh note that's the switch that changes that so instead of suddenly we're giving it giving it that little bit of, you know, tritone badness. That kind of thing. So you look at it from that angle. Then you look at it like, okay, you're on the neck. You're playing notes 
notes and you're in G, go to G and just go two whole steps, two whole steps, two whole steps and move that around to every G. And you're gonna hit the right notes. As long as you don't ring out one too long that might be not in the chord and well, that's a whole other lesson. But just jump around on this, this little boxy shape on the neck and you're fine. So all these different angles you can do it from and then you say okay now we're going to try a few things and make them demonstrate and then say okay teach it back to me now explain it to me and that's when they start to get it teach it back to me that's a really that's a nice nugget right there that's that's mm -hmm. you can understand if they're internalizing it and you can find potential roadblocks that they might be running into because teaching is the way to truly understand it and learn it so once you have them show you like i have a lot of my students, uh, I have them make videos during the week before the next lesson. It's like, you gotta make a progress video for me. And whatever it is, they make a little video and they, they send me an email saying, well, I, I took this chord and then I went to this one and this one so that it's doing this. And yeah, and that's when they get it down. That's great. Uh, what, what's something that you've learned most recently? Oh God, so much, yeah. I, Endless things that I need to learn. Uh, what have I learned recently? I've been doing a lot of things that I'll call, I guess, the bebop scale, where you're adding one extra note into it. Uh, and it started from checking out Barry Harris, I believe his name is, uh, that did the, the uh, diminished sixth scale. taking six chords in every inversion off of and in between them he's throwing in diminished first off the the two then the four and then the next inversion of that which ends up being like a flat six and then your seven and when you put them together you have the notes so i started experimenting a lot saying all right i'm gonna and i, I was, i'm thinking about actually making some kind of course or or something off of all this, because I got super deep into it all. What if we put a note into in between any of the whole steps in the diatonic sequence? What do you get? You know, you start getting some interesting stuff in there. Uh, you know, if we're doing. Uh, So you could really get into some cool stuff. So I've been working with students on these things and having them, instead of just looking at the scale, looking at all the different chords of sevenths and sixths and the inversions and visualizing them and picking notes from those. Mm. So if you're gonna go, like that one I just did, where I was using the... Uh, something like that, where it's in there and working your way up the scale and how it, it offsets everything. So I always like to uh, to teach people to uh, to be able to not only play scales but play scales in chordal form because I think so it, yeah, yeah, just like you're doing it, it really helps you get the sound in your in your ear a lot better than just individual notes can sometimes. 
And also, you know what the sweet notes are, the ones that are going to connect with the music, because that's the whole purpose of playing the lead or making a melody is to enhance the music. Uh, the melody is not for itself. It is to serve a bigger purpose. It is to serve the song. And whatever is happening musically in that song, your duty is to play the notes that are going to connect and amplify and enhance the moments and the emotions of that song and the things that make up that moment, whatever those notes are, and to make things that lead up to it. So people get a sense of, okay, here it comes, you know, that right there. Your job is to give that and to make people feel good. And a song has a million opportunities in it to do that with your playing. So that's what you want to think about is the song itself. Think about the song, not yourself. Say, think of it this way. If I play for the chords, uh, that is what gives my playing value. And that's what makes it a good solo or a good melody, whatever it is. It's not by trying to make a good melody. It's by trying to really do something special for the movements in the chords, whatever they are. Would you say the melody is the hot sauce and the music is the meal? You could say that. Or the melody is even the herbs and the song is the hot sauce. This podcast is going to make everyone very hungry and I don't, I'm not sorry about that. <laughs> what is the hardest thing about the guitar and the easiest thing about the guitar? Ah, let's see. The hardest thing about the guitar, in my case, is carrying it through airports. <laughs> <laughs> well, you in all seriousness, uh, you know, often it's just a little too big for the overhead or for the something, and then. You know, there's always one person that works for the airline that has their own set of rules. Mm -hmm. And no matter, you know, what FAA things you want to quote, you know, laws from 2012 about putting a guitar on a plane, they say, no, it's been modified and now it has to go here instead. And, and next time you get on that same airline, they're like, oh, no, no, just put it right overhead. Yeah, it's really yeah. about who you talk to sometimes. Yep, you're <laughs> gambling with, individuals every time you fly do you ever uh, do you ever scope and, out the uh the the attendants and be like hmm this 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 person looks like they're accepting of giant guitar cases <laughs> you never know who it's gonna be yeah the mean looking guy you know that you think is gonna give you crap and he gets up to you, he's like what kind of guitar do you got i play too <laughs> and, you, and you're like you're never gonna see one like this <laughs> And that happens sometimes. I'll show them the guitar and they're all, you know, interested. It's like, is that fretless? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that is, the, for me, the hardest thing about guitar is traveling with it. What's the easiest? Uh, not traveling with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the easiest? Uh, I don't know. What is, it? what is the easiest? We've had answers <laughs> like, uh, it's really beautiful, so it's easy to pick up. I have, uh, let's see. John Petrucci. The easiest thing is to, I guess, to to connect with someone. It's probably the easiest. Uh, you could take people have nothing in common that would be uh, mortal enemies, uh, whether it's their nationalities, their religious beliefs, their politics, whatever it is, and those same people are hugging at a concert. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and it happens on one-on-one cases and it happens in very large groups and that is the beauty of making music uh, it undoes all that shit uh, so so the easiest thing is to make people happy and that should always be the easiest thing in life it shouldn't be too hard it, sh- it should be something very easy that we all uh, do you know it takes very little effort to do that so so I would say the easiest thing is to just make someone smile, however it is, you know. Ready? I'm going to make you smile. There you go. I didn't do that on purpose. That was actually really good. <laughs> um, I want to ask you, You, I'm not going to get many chances to uh, meet someone as adept at fretless guitar. How How long have you been doing that? because I am enamored with the sound of fretless guitar. I'm bound to learn it, but I, I, I figure while I have you here, can you give a tip for somebody who wants to start playing fretless guitar and maybe some 101? Just treat it like a slide. Anything you would do with a slide where you're playing right over where the fret would be and giving the back and forth vibrato. It's just like having a slide on every fingertip. And you can drag harmonics and and have fun with that. Uh, yeah, and chords you just have to be a, you have to shape them a little bit differently because you're not pressing against frets that are you know exactly ninety degrees to the string. Mm-hmm. So you might have to just take your finger and instead of putting it down the way you might, you have to you might have to turn it a little bit that way. I don't think I'm in tune right now. Not exactly. Close enough. Well, and if you're out of tune, you just nudge your finger. (laughs) (laughs) And you can. You can play chords and stuff. It's just practice like anything else. All you do is you practice, and the more you practice, the better it gets. Do you find that your playing is significantly different as far as the lead stuff goes on the fretless? Is are you adjusting your technique in a significant way? Uh, the thing is, you don't bend, but you don't have to because anything you would normally bend to, you could just slide up like that. So it's just in the beginning, you might feel the urge to. Uh huh. But that changes quick. The vibrato, the bending, uh, in either direction. And the vibrato is different because my vibrato is is up and down, and that vibrato is side to side. Kind of thing, yeah. Right. That's cool. So, but you can go, you know, it can be subtle or wide. Either one. Yeah. And a good tip is on the thinner strings, they don't have as much sustain. So use your fingernail. Turn your finger. Instead of going, tilt it and touch your fingernail to it. Ooh, yeah. That's a very good tip. Thank you for that one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this video when I have my own fretless and learn from you in the past. <laughs> 
Awesome, man. Uh, so uh, I have I have a question here. You you've played all over the world, you know, in legendary prog rock band Asia, which I haven't even mentioned. Uh, kind of a big deal. Um, Sons of Apollo, Guns N' Roses, I'm sure countless others. What is the single strangest thing that has ever happened to you? So not cool, not bad. What is a weird thing that has happened to you on the road? I, didn't, I wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> uh, you're asking for, to like take decades of weird moments, push them through a funnel and get one out. Uh, is there one that came so, to mind right away? Oh, uh, getting bit on the stomach by a fashion model and having a big bruise for like three weeks. <laughs> I didn't uh, know where that was going. <laughs> A fashion model was she? Was she an attractive or he? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it wasn't. No, it wasn't a he. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you never know. What else? Uh, someone giving me kangaroo testicles as a gift. Oh. Um, what else? Uh, I mean, I'm just trying to think of whatever. Those are, those are a couple of weird things for sure. What has happened? There was one person that. Loved the smell of armpits and was following me around w- with her face literally glued to my armpit as I went room to room, just taking deep breaths. Um, what el- I mean, I oh. could tell you the most bizarre stories. Uh, what else? I'm thinking just backstage. I mean, even on stage, weird stuff would sometimes happen. Uh, Has there been any know, paranormal activity? Yes, actually. Uh, when we played Sons of Apollo in Plovdiv, Bulgaria, I am convinced that there was a ghost on stage messing with us. Whoa, what? Just How? Two things that okay. As I was walking out to start the show, and my guitar was totally in tune, I just checked it. I always check it constantly before hitting that first note. And as soon as I get out there, my low string that I needed quite a bit was like tuned down. Right. It's like, what happened? And, and that. And then at one point, um, a my pick just went flying out of my hand. I never drop picks. I mean, almost never. Uh, and it, it just, I was standing in front of my mic stand and just in one spot and my pick just like flew out of my fingers as if someone went like smacked my hand. And the pick was gone, nowhere to be found. Could not find it. Went back to my amp to get another pick. Those were all gone. Uh, and there was a bunch of them on there. So luckily in my jacket pocket, I felt around and I just happened to have a pick in there. So I finished the show. And after a song, I was like looking like, where the hell is this pick? And then like three songs later, the pick appears exactly in front of my mic stand, like just exact, like centered and everything just there. Like, what the fuck? And then during one of the songs, I was like, kneel down and I was playing, and it felt like someone pushed me, and I actually fell. I fell forward, like, on, onto my like, face. And yeah. A mischievous guitar ghost. <laughs> yeah, and that happened. And then, right before having to do the solo, and this really was a mind fuck, uh, right before having to play the solo to comfortably numb which was going to be like a long, dragged-out solo, you know, play the real solo, yep. you know, prop, you know, respectfully, and then 
you know, they're going to keep on going and I'm just going to goof off. But uh, my pedal, which never, ever, ever has had a problem, I'm stepping on the buttons and they're not doing anything. Yikes. And I needed to switch from my clean sound of like the verse to the solo sound to have the sound. Otherwise, it would have sounded like I was trying to do a solo on an acoustic. And I had to just shut it off and turn it back on. And it was fully powered up about five seconds before I had to like start that solo. Oh, just in time. And I was just like, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and I think also um, Derek, his glasses, which never fall off. He had like sunglasses he was wearing. And if I remember correctly, they like, he looked down and they like flew off his face and went straight into like a crack in the stage and disappeared like under the stage. Like the odds of these things, it would be like throwing a quarter and it landing in like a little slot. Yeah. Like a ha- it's a haunted Bulgarian theater. It was, <laughs> yeah, I was bugging out. That, like, what the hell is going on? That's, that is a very entertaining tale. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, what is your favorite airplane album? Something to listen to on an airplane. Ah, thought you meant like, what's your favorite Jefferson airplane album? Uh, <laughs> I always have favorite... to, I always have to clarify that. <laughs> God, usually the times that I would be on a plane, I'm either watching a ton of movies or I'm working on like email interviews or some kind of work or, or prepping promo materials on the computer. And I don't listen to stuff that much. If I do, it might be mixes for an album that I'm working on in the studio or songs that I have to learn for a gig or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it was not any of those things, what do I listen to? It's pretty vast. Anything from Motown to Manowar, uh, old Yes Stuff, Beatles, uh, old Judas Priest. Nice. Uh, all kinds of things. Uh, anything. Yeah. Cool. What's your, uh, we call this part dream band. I'd like you to build a band now. What four others in a band, living or dead, would you want to play with? So it's you on your guitar and four other people. Who is it? Mike Portnoy, Billy Sheehan, Jeff Scott Soto, and Derek Sherinian. Oh, so you're already doing it. Great. There you go. All done. Uh, I guess we could throw in, there's a few people we could throw in. We could throw in Chopin on piano and and George Harrison on guitar and and do a lot of songwriting, I hope. And maybe uh, get a, you know what? Not Jocko, but David Pastorius. Alive. Incredible. Uh, yeah, he could be in there. Two bass players. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to be a fanboy, and I'm not going to ruin it by playing. Let him do everything. Finally, to wind down here and, and loop in your guitar supervillain, alter ego, I have one final question for you, Ron. What do you believe about guitar that most guitar players would think is crazy? So this could be a hard truth guitar players need to hear or something you know that others don't or maybe a misconception about the instrument or 
whatever you want. What do you believe about the guitar or guitar playing that others may not? Ah, I don't know. I think anything I say, a lot of guitar players will be like, yeah, so uh, I believe that too. Uh, the drummer is more important. Uh, Good one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, you know, the drummer's groove is going to make or break the song more than the guitar player's playing. And the drummer is more of the leader. You know, it's if you try to step in front of the drum beats, you know, you're not going to sound good. You're going to sound very uh, just frantic and it's going to be an uncomfortable listen. Mm -hmm. And but if you lag behind or if you're just locking in just right with them in the right way, then you're good. But in order to do that, the drums come first, almost as if the drum hits and you are the reflection or the shadow, uh, you know, just giving uh, pitch to those hits. Uh, the Great. drummer's groove is way more important than your playing. I'll be sure uh, to send this to Mike Portnoy after, and he'll, he'll be very happy to hear you say that. <laughs> so, uh, so Ron, as we wind down here, I'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, be on Guitar Villains. It's been a real pleasure to, to learn and, and chat with you. Um, we'll look forward to seeing what treacherous plots you devise next in your musical <laughs> endeavors. Uh, thank you so much. It's great to chat with you, and thank you, everybody, for watching. Yeah.